your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Acts, to the book of Acts. As you can see in your bulletin, we will be in Acts chapter 2. Those of you who are a regular week-to-week part of Ascension know that uh, this is a break. This is different than what we've been doing the past several weeks here at Ascension. For those of you visiting, we have begun uh, a study in the book of Judges and are in the midst of that, but this week I decided to take uh, a break uh, from the book of Judges and to focus on Acts chapter 2 and this pivotal event in the history of redemption. You say, well, why did you take a break, Nate? Why not just charge on through Judges? Well, two reasons. One is I knew we would have people who were not part of the series and didn't have the full context of what had gone on in, in Judges. And uh, so it would take some extra work to bring everyone up to speed on where we are and what God exactly is doing in that very difficult book. But secondly, and, and maybe more significantly, more importantly, the reason I went to Acts chapter 2 this morning is because today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the seventh Sunday after Easter. It's the day in the Christian liturgical calendar developed somewhere in the fourth century that commemorates the event that we are about to read about. Now, of course, we as Presbyterians, we're not real big on the Christian calendar, on the liturgical calendar. We certainly don't follow the calendars in the same way that the Roman church or the Orthodox church or the Anglican church follows the calendar. And I would never tell you that it's a necessary, absolutely essential part for you to do so. But I will say this, I think it's good for us to occasionally put ourselves in line with the rhythms of the Christian calendar. Of course, we do that every end of year in the season of Advent and leading up to the glorious celebration of Christ's incarnation and coming to this earth. And so I see what we're doing today as as a good thing. I'm excited to proclaim to you again God's work at Pentecost and through the Holy Spirit. And so if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthenians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, 
Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others said, they are filled with new wine. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I likely don't have to remind some of you this, but this past Thursday marked the 75th anniversary of D-Day. That historic day at the end of World War II when the Allied forces stormed the beaches of France, the beaches of Normandy. And while the war in that region would continue for another year after that, June 6, 1944 was the beginning of the end of the conflict in Europe. It's amazing how one day can change so much. One day can change the lives of so many and indeed the world. Whether it's D-Day, whether it's 9-11, there are events, there are single days that change our world forever, and today we are reminded of such a day. We don't have the date, but the effects are unmistakable. A small band of Jewish men and women experienced something in the first century that turned them and their worlds and in turn our world and the course of human history upside down. You don't even have to be a Christian here this morning to recognize that Pentecost, that what we just read about, changed everything. And that's good news for us as we gather as the people of Christ. But what was it? Why was it? And what difference does it make to us today? Well, that's what I want to explore for the next few minutes together. And I want to remind us, I want to teach us, I want to answer those questions by three truths. Three truths for us to categorize all of our thoughts and whatever the Lord might be doing in your heart and in your life here this morning. And the first one is this, Pentecost was a promise kept. Pentecost was a promise kept. I want to spend the first chunk of our time just simply trying to understand what exactly is happening in these verses. See, in the Jewish calendar for an Israelite in the first century, Pentecost was the second of the annual feasts. It's also referred to as the Feast of Weeks. Listen to Leviticus 23. God says, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. And and here's where Penta comes from, right? The Pentagon has five sides. 
Jewish life, the first fruits of harvest were presented on the first day of the first week after Passover, and then 50 days from that, the celebration would begin. And so in this first century agrarian society, this was a harvest feast. It was rejoicing in God's provision for His people. It was an offering of thanks to God for what He had done for His people. And by this time, in the life of the Jewish people, Pentecost had also come to represent, to be a commemoration and a celebration of the giving of the law to Moses at Mount Sinai, a most important event in the life of God's people, because the giving of the law was about 50 days after God rescued His people through the Exodus. So in the Jewish calendar, needless to say, Pentecost, even before what we read about here happens, Pentecost was a big deal. It was one of the big three, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And because of this, Jews from all over the known world at that time would come to Jerusalem. All the regions from the Roman and Parthenian Empire, they'd come to Jerusalem to celebrate. And that's all the background to this day, to this gathering. Here they are. Luke tells us there's about 120 of them. And they're waiting. What are they waiting for? Well, they're waiting in obedience to the Lord Jesus and to the words that He spoke. The Lord Jesus has died. The Lord Jesus has been raised in power from the grave. The Lord Jesus has ascended into heaven. And before He did, in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, He says, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so here they are, this little band of Jewish followers, followers of the way, followers of the Nazarene, who was died so publicly, who was raised so powerfully. And they didn't know what they were looking for per se, but they heard it when it came. They heard the sound coming, the sound of a wind, Luke records, not a literal wind, but the sound of something rushing into a space. I was thinking about those news reports of those people in the Midwest as they describe what they hear huddled in their bathtubs, the sound of a freight train outside coming towards them. It's a fearful sound for the followers of Jesus. And then again, not a literal fire, but what looked like lapping flames appears and rests on the believers. The Spirit of God had arrived. Through sight and sound, through these symbols of of pounding fearful power and burning white-hot purity, the second person of the Godhead, the one promised, had arrived. God had long foretold it, Jesus had reiterated it, and now it had come true. And it was no coincidence that the Holy Spirit came and descended upon God's people in the way that He does described here. The Jewish mind, wind, wind was associated with with God, with the presence of God. Go all the way back to the beginning, to the second verse of God's revelation to man. 
What is the Spirit of God doing? He is hovering above the waters. The breath of God fills Adam's lungs and breathes into him and gives him life. Ezekiel prophesies in the Old Testament about the wind giving life to the dead bones, the dry bones in the desert. And then fire, the appearance of fire. Wasn't it a burning bush that the I am appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 3? Wasn't it a pillar of fire that guided God's people as they wandered in the wilderness? Wasn't it fire that consumed Mount Sinai and hovered over the tabernacle? You see, the point is this. These are not mere random symbols of of power or of show. These were signs pointing to a redemptive coming, a salvation event in the life of God's people, a promise kept. It was a coming that was shrouded in imagery but it resulted in a unique display of revelation, the wonders of God spoken in foreign speech. These Galileans with native languages of Aramaic and Greek were suddenly proclaiming the goodness of God to displaced Jews who had gathered in Jerusalem in their own tongue. It was an event like no other, and it caused awe, it caused cynicism, and the accusation that these men are just drunk so early in the morning. But what, is it, what does it all mean? Well, Peter will go on to dismiss the cynics and the verses that follow. He'll say, listen, these guys aren't drunk. It's 9 a.m. for crying out loud. But then he immediately ties just what, what just went on in verse 16 with what had been promised long ago through the prophet Joel. Pentecost is a promise kept. God keeps His promises. Now, I camp out on here, on this point, and I, I want to do so because I want us to see a, an important and almost, or sometimes neglected point. That Pentecost was a unique event in redemptive history. It's not an event that the church of Christ is striving and seeking and working at trying to recreate. It's the culmination of something that God had promised, not the beginning of, of, not the beginning or the promise of more events like this to come. And I say that, and I slow down at this point, and I say this is important because as many of you know, as maybe some of you have experienced, there can be confusion in the church. There can be those that teach that what happens here ought to be normative for the church. And if it's not, then the church is inadequate. Rather than recognizing the the redemptive character of this event, there are some in 
the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, we would say, who claim that believers should desire, should seek, should pray for a baptism in the Spirit, resulting in something akin to what we find here. And that's a whole other tangent that we don't have time to go on, but let me just say this. Pentecost shares the stage with Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension as a fulfilled event in God's promised and planned story of redemption, marking an entirely new era to come. The blowing wind of creation has become the wind of new creations in Christ Jesus. The fire and the wind and the voice and the terror at Mount Sinai has been replaced by the nearness of God by His Spirit. Listen to what the writer of the Hebrews says to God's people in Hebrews 12. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound or of a trumpet or a voice that, whose words made hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that the Spirit is not still moving in mystery and in power. He is, and we're going to talk more about that. But I want to recognize that Pentecost, the event that we celebrate, that we just read about, was truly a unique event of a promised Kept. That's the first thing I want us to think about. The second is this. Pentecost proclaims that the gospel is for all nations. Pentecost proclaims that the gospel is for all nations. We, we naturally like our own tribes. We like people who are like us, who look like us, who talk like us. And in our modern world, it's particularly easy for us to swell, sometimes unhealthily so, with, with nationalistic pride. Even easier for God's people. Even easier for the Jews of the first century. These descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these recipients of God's favor, of God's protection, of the promised land. They were God's people. And yet God's plans were so much bigger and they were beginning to learn how big God's plans were. Because God wants glory. He deserves glory from all peoples, all nations, all tribes, all tongues. And so the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 marks this divine event, this new era in the life of God's people, Jew and Gentile. And it was hinted at in chapter 1, verse 15, we didn't read it, but the number 120 was in Jewish tradition the minimum number to start a new community. And here a new community of God's people is being started. 
it's not one bound by ethnicity or by socioeconomic class or by any other boundaries. Indeed, Babel is being reversed. You remember the story way back in Genesis chapter 11 after giving us what is commonly called the table of nations in chapter 10. We read of humanity caught up in in self-sufficiency and pride and independence and arrogance, desiring to gain security and a status apart from the God who made them. And God would have none of it. He's not interested in rivals, and so he confuses their language. He divides what was once one and scatters them all over the earth. And Luke gives us this lengthy, very specific list in chapter 2 as if to say there is a new unity on earth. And it's come through the Spirit, and it's come through the gospel and we ought to celebrate it. Pentecost is a vision for the nation's cast. It's a promise fulfilled. And of course, that has far-reaching implications into our life, into our existence. We have a heart to send people to the nations, but even more than that, the nations have come to us. One of the reasons why I love our RUF ministries, our collegiate ministries, InterVarsity and Crew and all those agencies that are working on the local campuses because those campuses, they're the nations. And God is calling all of them to Himself. Well, one last truth from this text this morning. It's built on all that we've just gone through. The point of the passage is Mission, it's not an experience. It's about how we can be used of God. And so the third thing I want us to think about briefly is this. Pentecost provided power for the church's witness. Let's make that present tense. Pentecost provides power for the church's mission and witness. Here we, here we get beyond just the theological of the promise of God being kept and the plan of God for the nations being shown and established. Here we get to where the rubber meets the road. What difference does it make that the Holy Spirit has come? As I said before, these followers had no idea what to expect clothed with power from on high, Jesus said, just wait for it. But as the Holy Spirit descended upon the church, these men and women, when we talked about figurative fire, they figuratively became fire. Suddenly they experience this power for boldness, this power to endure, this power for witness. And and how do I know that? Because history proves it. I was just talking with one of you about this yesterday as we were talking about the history of the world and recognizing that this small band of Jewish followers in the, middle of e- in the Middle East uh, 2,000 years ago 
should have come to nothing. And yet there was no flame out. There was no letdown. There was only fervor to the bitter end. For these disciples, the bitter end was martyrdom, willing to die for what they believed. It wasn't just they were energized by what they had seen and heard. It was that they were spending, they were emptying from reserves that were bottomless because they had the Holy Spirit. Moses the prophet, the one who spoke the words of God, who had the Spirit of God upon him, he, he longed for this day. In Numbers 11, after getting the help of 70 elders to prophesy, he was confronted with the news that two men, Eldad and Medad, were prophesying in the camp. And Moses said this, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them. And the good news about the day of Pentecost, brothers and sisters, that the Holy Spirit and Moses' desire is upon us. That the Spirit has empowered us as a church for witness to speak to the nations the wonders of our God. He has come and we can never be the same undergirded that His promises are true, ignited that the gospel is for all nations, empowered by the Spirit that lives in those who call on His name. What does it mean? We need not be timid. We need not be fearful. We need not be burdened by our sin. We need not feel powerless or alone. The coming of the Holy Spirit and the new era begun here in Acts 2, boy, it's a subject that we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks. But today, as we remember this day, as we think about it again, be encouraged, brothers and sisters, with this simple reality, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And whether it's your sin that you're, staring in your, in, that you're staring in the face, whether it's that hardened unbeliever in your life, whether it's that relational fracture that you say, no, there's just no hope. This will not happen. Remember Pentecost. Remember the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we as your church need to be reminded of this event, of this reality, of the ways that it intersects and comes into our lives in very practical ways. The Lord Jesus, when He left this earth, said it would be better for Him to leave. It's hard to imagine because we long for You, Jesus. We long for Your face, for Your presence, for Your embrace, and yet You are here. 
You are with us by Your Spirit in power, in holiness. Oh, Father, help us to not forget it. Help us to live from this reality in boldness, in power. Father, we give you thanks and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.